We are in Isaiah 55 this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Isaiah 55. We were able to have a Veterans Day theme uh, with our um, decorations and things like that. But uh, 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 over the uh, weekend with the men, uh, Veterans Day, of course, is more than um, just a few decorations or a meal. Uh, it is a profound gratitude to God for our nation. And it would not be here. And uh, liberty and freedom would not be here if it were not uh, fought for, stood for, and fought for. And, uh, and so it's been a, uh, it's a profound weekend to, to recall that. Um, and uh, let's just stop and, uh, before we even begin our sermon here this morning, let's just stop and thank God for the nation that we have and what he has given to us and those who have, uh, have put their lives on the line for us. Father, as we think about your word and what it says about the role of government, uh, Father, how government is to be honored that you uh, put government here for peace and that the king does not bear the sword in vain. Uh, Lord, that the sword exists for your purposes. And Lord, we know that no human government is perfect far, far from it. Human governments are made of men who are sinners like us. And uh, Father, with the opportunity for a power comes opportunity for abuses. Lord, we recognize all of that. And yet we also have to be thankful for your gift of government. That, Lord, uh, I believe most of us, if not all of us, went to bed last night without any serious concern that we would lose our life and property. Uh, Lord, this is not the case all over the world. And our government, Father, is uh, such a blessing to us. And so, God, we take it from you as a gift. We praise you. And, Lord, we think of those who put their lives in harm's way for liberty, for this nation. And God, again, we, we, are, we thank them, and ultimately we thank you and praise you for giving them to us. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that they would be blessed. Uh, we pray above all that they'd be blessed with a knowledge of you and uh, a love for you. And Father, we do pray for our nation that you would protect her, that you would give uh, our nation peace, continued liberty, prosperity. Not, Lord, so that we can consume it on more things, uh, though we do have many things and we enjoy things. Uh, but Father, we pray that you'd give us peace and liberty that we might be free to share the gospel here and globally. And we pray that you would help us to do so, help us to be active about this. Father, we thank you for life where we walk by faith and not by sight. Help us, Lord, to uh, be obedient to you as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in, I'm just going to reshape this here, we are in Isaiah 55, verse number 1, and before we read there, I just want you to think of a phrase that we use a lot, make yourself at home, you ever said that, make yourself at home, it's an ironic phrase, because if I say make yourself at home, okay, if you go home and your spouse says, hey, honey, make yourself at home, <laughs> it's like, this is my home, what are you talking about, I, that, that doesn't fit, but when I say make yourself at home, what I'm saying is this is not your home, in a sense, and yet, I want you to make it as if you are. So make yourself at home. It's an ironic phrase. And I think it's a little bit of like the phrase that we're going to see today where we've got a verb and a couple of prepositional phrases that do not seem to agree. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the verb is that you're to buy, but you're to buy without money and without price. How do you buy without money and price? I think the irony is there to stand out that, that, that it's a gracious offer. That God is saying to you in this matter of salvation, in this matter of a right relationship with him, I, there's a transaction that's going to be made here. Uh, and, and this is going to transact to becoming yours, your possession, 
salvation. You will possess me as your God, as your Father. Here's the deal, though. It's, it's a transaction. It's a, it's a totally legal transaction that you're going to buy, but you're going to do so without money, without price. That means you're not going to pay anything, or it might even mean it's not yours to pay. Somebody else is paying it. And we just saw in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Uh, His chastisement brought us peace. And so this gracious irony is that this transaction, it makes it fully yours, but it is going to be paid for by someone else. So um, notice in verse 1 as we read today, who is invited? It's the thirsty. Uh, Somebody who's thirsty is in a desperate situation. They're probably hungry too, but thirsty is the most demanding thing. In verse number uh, 5, I want you to see what Israel, and by extension you and me, are going to do with this free gift. We are going to lead a nation that we do not know. And a nation we do not know is going to come to Israel. Um, And the idea, I think, that's applicable to you and me. You come to Christ, but then you share Christ. And then we will end with the gospel in verses 6 and 7, just a beautiful summary of the gospel. If you thought people were saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law, and in the New Testament they're saved by Jesus, this new thing, uh-uh. the gospel is right here, uh, pre-Jesus, 700 years. Let's look at uh, uh, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, your graciousness toward us. Uh, Father, you are the consummate host. You invite us into your presence and, and, Father, into a relationship that we will own. And yet, Father, we are not the ones to pay that price. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who did. God, we thank you that your invitation to Israel was that they would call, come to you, that they would call upon you, that they would repent, that they would entrust themselves to you for pardon. Help us, God, to see the gospel today. And God, I pray that we would respond to it while you are near. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at our outline today, uh, point number one, God invites all who thirst to buy bread and eat without money or price. Verse one, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So this uh, wine, milk, and food, is it metaphor? Or is it literal kingdom provisions? I always opt for both. That in the kingdom there's going to be literal provisions. But the metaphor is that God provides abundantly, eternally. The metaphor is that God supplies eternal security. 
But other passages do imply that God will provide literal food. One of them is Joel 2.19. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I think today Israel is a reproach among many nations, and so I don't think this text has come true the way it's going to come true in the millennial kingdom. Four times in verse number one, we have the verb come, as well as two other verbs, buy and eat. And, and when we see that, that, that implies some action on your part. There's this gracious host, but you've got to come to him. You've got to transact with him. You've got to make this your own. You need to buy, you need to eat the gospel. You need to make God your God. Three terms, three times in verse number one, the terms are clear without money, without price. We could relate this back to Isaiah 53, and that's where I say it's not yours to pay. Uh, Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, his wounds, we are healed. When it comes to your salvation, a purchase has been paid. It's not yours to pay. But you do need to come. You do need to buy. You need to engage in this relationship. The invitation to come, buy, eat without price reminds me of another feasting passage in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite. Uh, you know, I've, after cooking steaks for 200 men, you know I love to cook and I love feasting and all of that. Isaiah 25, it's my life verse, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord will have hosts, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. That's going to be good. I'm taking it literal. There's metaphor behind it, but I'm taking this literal, okay? A feast of well-aged wine. You're like, wait a minute, aren't you Baptist? Yeah, I'm Baptist. Don't you believe drinking wine is a sin? Yes, I do. How can you read this text? Well, it's in the Bible, so we'll read it. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And I believe in the original text it means aged over the lees. That's the sediments of wine that as it ages gives it its fine flavor. And you're like, how can a Baptist pastor be talking this way? Well, we'll, we'll explain. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The veil over all nations. All nations are suffering with this veil, death. And he's going to swallow it up. He's going to destroy death at this feast. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. Just what Joel was talking about. He said, take away all the reproach of his people. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I am looking forward to that feast. I am looking forward to well-aged wine, aged over the lees. Wine was mentioned in uh, several texts here. It was mentioned in today's text, Isaiah 55. It's mentioned in Isaiah 25. Um, um, it, it, it's, um, it was mentioned in Joel 2, by grain, wine, and oil. And so with all those references to wine, I, I kind of have to stop and address wine. Uh, wine was throughout history 
in most contexts, the vast majority of contexts, people could not afford to cut open a skin of wine at every meal and, and luxuriate themselves that way. Meat was absent from most meals in antiquities. You've really got to get yourself out of the American spending pattern on food and beverage. So wine throughout history was mingled with water, and it had dual function. Number one, it was a delightful flavor to the water. Number two, it purified the water. Paul rebuked Timothy in, in I believe, 1 Timothy, drink no longer water only, but drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your oft infirmities. I've shared with our members that peer-reviewed science where they took typhoid pathogen and when they added red wine for 24 hours, white wine for um, uh, 12 hours, mingled five parts water, one part wine, they killed the typhoid to the point that you could drink safely. They did the same thing with tequila, didn't have the same effect. They did the same thing with ethanol, didn't have the same effect. Alcohol is not the solution there, it's something in the grapes. I wish they had tested it with grape juice. I don't know if that would have worked. Uh, that, if, you, if any of you want to do a science project at school, repeat that and, and add grape juice for your pastor and report on that. Don't expect to be popular if it works. Um, Americans love their booze, okay? That's just, uh, you're not going to convince anyone of anything. There's a love affair with alcohol. I was uh, photographing a senior back, uh, oh man, been about 15 years ago, and his father was a, uh, a chemist, a PhD in chemistry, and he had studied uh, wine and vinegar in antiquities, and he said that's how they purified their water. If they didn't have wine, which is harder to store and keep fresh, they had vinegar, which is what you get when you don't keep your wine fresh. And, uh, and he said, you would think, he said, as I studied this, you would think they'd be like, oh, vinegar's rancid. But he said, in their mind, in their palate, it was safe. Uh, like when you walk into a home and it smells like Mr. Clean or Pine Saw, he said, those are actually, uh, you know, stringent smells. They're bitter smells, but we've come in our American mindset to associate that with clean. It's clean. I'm safe. And so we come into a house that smells like Mr. Clean, and it's like, he said, it's a terrible smell, but we associate it in our minds, and that's what they did with vinegar, which would be the other item that was used. So basically what I'm saying, and, and then the other thing I would say is this ancient winemaking, you can only find this in niche wineries today, very small niche wineries, where they will make the wine using only the... Um, the, uh, the yeast that occurs in the skin of the grape. All large winemaking operations inject yeast for increased alcoholic content. So what we're talking about is a wine that was weaker in alcoholic content. We're talking about a wine that was mingled. And uh, even in Roman and Greek society, it was three to one. Uh, you know, and, and, and so I, I've seen everything from three to one to five to one, uh, water to wine. So what I'm saying is you have lower alcohol content, greatly diluted, non-intoxicating, basically functioning like our chlorine does today. You know if you increase the chlorine too much, that's not healthy too, right? If you do 50% chlorine, not a good idea. You're not going to live through the meal. Okay? And uh, if we didn't have chlorine in modern water and safety, I would be the first to commend mingling 5 to 1 water to wine. And I'm sure it would begin to taste quite nice, especially, and you would be able to tell different Bordeaux and white wines and red wines, and you could enjoy those tastes and not be intoxicated. Why don't I do that? Because direction, more than distance, will determine your destiny. I don't want to take one step toward wine. You guys have seen me with food, right? You see me with coffee. I go big time, okay? So... Um, you know, I, I would be like Noah before you know it. I'd have a vineyard and be drunk. So what I'm saying is but beer and wine today are a sin. I just want to make that 
that is my, my understanding. One drink and you can start to lose your inhibitions. And Christian, you need your inhibitions. There are things that can come out of your mouth because you're a sinner that should not come out of your mouth. There are things that you could do because you're a sinner that you should not do. You need your inhibitions. One beer, one, one glass of wine can loosen your tongue and loosen your conduct. And so I would say drinking the way our culture drinks in moderation is sin. And thus this view of wine, it's like the wine has this, the, you know, buy wine without price, and yet Proverbs will say, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And yet in another text, God is saying, come, buy wine. <laughs> Does that make any sense until you understand the context of history? That in one context, wine is referring to how godly people drank wine, like the Maccabeans. It's recorded in 2 Maccabees in the closing verses. Uh, they drink it mingled with water. They said, you should not drink wine alone. It's mingled with water. And that's, they called it wine. When a good person is serving you wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, the pots are already mostly full of water. They're supposed to be filled up the rest of the way with wine. But Jesus, scandally, filled it up the rest of the way with water. And it became wine. But it would be a godly wine. And then in other texts you have, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies at the top of a mass, something that's really not wise to do. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me and I did not feel it. I, I think there's probably people with life testimonies to that effect even in the room today. When shall I awake? I will have another drink. I must have another drink. When shall I awake? I, I just want another drink. It will suck you in. So such a substance and such intoxication of alcohol has no place at this feast. Many of us have lost acquaintances, friends, and even loved ones to drunk drivers. Many of us know marriages that fell apart with a beer at a neighborhood party or some other kind of party. I just want to be really clear, uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm holding up that there's going to be God's invitation here to buy wine at no price. I'm not talking about that kind of wine. And if you commend that to your children, I'll, I'll pray for you that, that, that you don't get what I expect you will get. Well, um, speaking of wine and beer <laughs> and things Americans spend money on, uh, let's go to point number two. <laughs> God rebukes those who spend, that, spend for that which does not satisfy. God rebukes those who spend for that which does not satisfy, verses 2 and 3. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. There's a rebuke built into verse number two. Israel had been pursuing false sources of satisfaction and they were finding no satisfaction. Uh, you know, money will never satisfy. It doesn't bring happiness. Uh, there could be a level of security, but as far as you think, oh, I'm just going to dance through life because I got all this money. Uh, I, I have it a good word for many people with money. It does not bring happiness. Porn and self-gratification will never bring happiness will never bring contentment. 
It is something that is designed to suck you in and to drag you deeper and deeper. Fame will not satisfy. Sports and entertainments will not satisfy. Getting high on various substances will not satisfy. Houses and cars will not satisfy. My dream home, I deserve this. Vacations will not satisfy. Now money has its place in your life. Love of the opposite sex has its place within the God-given bounds of marriage. Entertainment and possession have their place. God does not begrudge you a vacation or some possessions. But apart from God and apart from enjoying these things as His gift, as your Father's gift in your life, none of these are going to satisfy you. So in verse 1, we have someone who is thirsty, someone who is very impoverished when you're thirsty. I take it you are really, really hard up. But in verse 2, we have someone spending money and resources and time and working for things. And they're not finding satisfaction. Is it the same person? Is it a different crowd? I, I really can't say for sure. I just can say that you cannot buy your way to happiness. You cannot buy fulfillment. And happiness is not even the goal. Plenty of Christian martyrs, Christian people die a martyr's death. Those aren't happy moments. They're joyful. They're reconciled as joy because they know they're about to die and enter the presence of their Lord with a martyr's reward, but it's not a happy moment. Happiness is not the goal for the Christian. Joy is a reconciled, uh, reconciled view of your life in light of eternity. Notice the commands to listen to God here in verse number 2 and 3, four times, uh, I think it, it occurs. Uh, verse number 4, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse number 2. Um, why do you spend, oh, in the middle of the verse, listen diligently to me. Um, incline your ear. Come to me again, there's the word come again, and hear that your soul may live. So we have this, this idea of hearing. And then notice that God is concerned about his Davidic covenant that is fulfilling his covenant to David. We'll spend more time on this in a moment. But look at uh, verse, number, verse number three. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. This is, he's, he's writing to Israel. My steadfast, sure love for David. So this covenant he's making with Israel is also his steadfast and sure love of David. He's very concerned that he fulfills everything that he has toward David. So let's go to point three. God will set the world stage for the entry of a Davidic king. I'm taking that to be where he's going here. Not 100% certain I've got the exegesis right, but I think I've got this right. We'll see here. Hey, he's setting the stage for the entry of a Davidic king, and believing Israel will seek and win the nations. One nation in particular here, but the nations. Look at verses 4 and 5. Behold, I have made him. What is the antecedent of him? Could be David, who is just mentioned, or it could be a Davidic, the Messiah, a Davidic king. Um, could be both, that God's referring to the past as well as the future. I, I think that at the very least, this is, has to do with the Messiah. Uh, verse number four, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. That's what the word peoples typically in the Old Testament would refer to the people of Israel. Uh, the next na word has the word goy for goyim. That refers to the Gentiles. Okay, and so I, I, in verse four, we could be talking about David, who God made him to be a leader for the people. And, and just as God blessed David back there, you're going to become a voice to, the, to a nation, 
that's going to run to you, you're going to be on the world scene in a positive way. Um, or it could be referring to this Davidic, that God is going to make him, the, 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 the Messiah, a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Look at verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. Israel is going to be attractive. Why? Because of the Lord your God. Can you think of any better reason to be attractive? I mean, and I'm not talking about to like a spouse, someone, a loved one, you know, like a boyfriend or girlfriend, but I'm just talking about, can you think of a better reason to be attractive to other people in the sense of just drawing people to yourself? What is your biggest point of attraction? Are you funny? Are you entertaining? Do you have lots of money? Can you think of anything worse than being attractive because you have money? People want to be around you because you have money. That, that just seems so empty. Uh, like you're being used in all the bad ways. But what if you're attractive because you draw people closer to God? What if people come to you and say, you know what, he, 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 she just encourages me. She just encourages me in my walk with the Lord. He just encourages me to be a godly man. So anytime I have a chance to be around him, I'm there. Because this is a guy who knows how to point people to Jesus. I can think of no better reason to be attractive, and that's exactly what the nation of Israel is going to have. They're going to be attractive because of the Lord their God. Now, if, again, I want you to um, see the progression in response here. In verse 1, we are told, come, 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 come. Four times we're told to come. In verse 2 and 3, we're so told, listen, hear, incline your ear. So we're coming, we're listening. In verse 4, Israel, and by extension we, verse 4 and 5, become a witness to the nations. So you come, you hear, you share. And people come to you because you've come to God and you've heard from God. And now you're sharing and you're drawing people closer to God. May that be the progression of your life. Point number four, God warns that we will not always be a, he will not always be available to you. That's implicit when he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, that could be because you're going to die someday and it'll be too late. But I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. I'll show you why in a moment. But, but, but looking at point four again here, God warns that he will not always be available to you. Seek the Lord while he can be found and call upon his name while he is near. I kind of borrowed almost the exact words of the scripture there. Look at verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Why would God not be near to you? Why would he not be available to you? It is not because he gets busy. It is not because he gets distracted. Ah, you better, you know, I've got a moment. You better respond to me because I'm really busy running the universe. (laughs) So, you know, let's get this done while I'm available. I've got now or tomorrow, uh, Tuesday of next week at 5 p.m. You know, what's good for you? Otherwise we're done. That's not our God. He's infinite. There's something else going on here. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15, God warned in judgment. He said, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. In Deuteronomy 31, he warned Israel, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them. So that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. 
God said, I will withdraw myself. So the indication is that there's an opportunity that will pass. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 1. Uh, because, um, uh, you know, again, I don't think this is talking about lifetime in general. I think that there are cultures and I think there are individuals who reject God. And, and God is a person. He is interactive. And, and when you reject God, there comes a point at which God can stop knocking at the door of your heart and God can reject you and hand you over to what you've chosen, your sin. Sometimes I think we have a wild culture, but then I read Romans one twenty one. I'm in Romans one twenty one. I'm like, well, maybe there's nothing new under the sun. Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, now look at the response. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is their own action. They've got a, a sound of wisdom that is absolutely fool, absolute foolishness. Drop down to verse number 34. You've got that logic marker. Therefore, God gave them up. Verse number 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, there's a logic marker, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, again, a logic marker in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since, there's a logic marker, we're given the reason, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So today's text says, seek the Lord while he may be found. That's not because he might be busy later. That's because if you are stiff-arming God and you're telling God, no, <laughs> I want to go and make lots of money and engage in lots of partying and engage in lots of self-gratification. And then, you know, when I'm getting old and about to die, there's nothing left in my life, then I, I might want to talk to you then. Really? You think you're going to deal with the God of the universe that way? There is going to be no finding God when you are old and about to die. Now, while he is near, repent. Come to Jesus. Pardon for sin, last point here, can be found in two imperatives. Forsake wicked ways and thoughts and return to the Lord. That word return is the word turn. It's the word repent. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Anyone else struggle with your thought life, or is it just your pastor who struggles with this? Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, abundantly pardon. This is what we call repentance. The word means return. It's literally a turning. <laughs> it's a heartfelt mindset against sin. It's rejecting the thoughts that are 
ungodly and impure in your life. It's rejecting past beliefs. Things that you believe to be a priority in your life and desirable before are no longer a priority and may now be anathema to you, may be accursed. Something that you absolutely should not and will not engage in. You might even have to forsake some plans that you had to fulfill sins less later this year. Repentance does involve canceled plans. Some people have had to quit their jobs because there was an immoral component to their work. Others have had to move to get out of a sinful environment. And at the heart of it all, you're rejecting some assumptions of the world. The the world just assumes young men do this, women do that. Young people do this and that, and those assumptions don't fly anymore. And I just want you to gaze upon what's been said here about how the Old Testament person became a believer. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord. Look at verse 6 again. Do you see? Call upon his name. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's repentance. Let the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. That's repentance. Return to the Lord. That's, that's drawing near to God. The Lord will have compassion. The word compassion is, is love and mercy rolled up into one word. There is love and there is mercy. There's not giving you the punishment you deserve, but instead giving you His love. And in verse 7, the Lord will abundantly pardon. That's salvation in the New Testament as well. How, do they, how will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him in whom they have not heard? So seek the Lord, call in his name, repent, draw near to the Lord, he will have compassion. So as we wrap up for today, we're in the middle of Isaiah 55, we'll finish up next week. God gives a gracious offer of salvation that you need to buy, but it's not yours to pay for. It was bought by the Son of God on the cross. It's a most gracious offer. Come, buy without price. God is the consummate host. He warns you against spending your resources on things that do not satisfy. Oh, we spend our resources, our efforts on so many things that years later it's like, what a waste. It did not satisfy and maybe in many cases it was a bit of a ruin to us. He promises to Israel that he will bless Israel with Davidic promises and a nation will run to them that they've not even heard of. And why will they run to them? To them because of the Lord, their God. What could be better for you than to be known by your God? To be desired because you draw people close to your God. And here's the invitation on your end. Seek the Lord, call on his name, forsake evil ways, return to the Lord. All good things. All, all things you know you need to do. And I hope you want to do. I hope deep down you're like, you know what? Yeah, I want to forsake my sin. When you do, he will have compassion. Love and mercy rolled into one. He will also pardon you. In the New Testament, we understand Jesus to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. We understand him to be the price that was paid. We understand that calling upon his name means having faith in him to save you calling on him to save you. If you've never done so, 
Take a moment today and in prayer confess your sin to God. Repent of your sin. And call on the name of Jesus to be your Savior. Trust and follow Him. There will be compassion. There will be pardon. Let's take a moment, pray silently, give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel as we see it here in Isaiah 55. And then I'll close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation and the gift of your Son. Thank you for your love and your mercy toward us who are sinners. Father, we do not judge those who are overcoming their sins. We look over at them and, and, and Father, we see that without your Spirit, your Word, your cleansing, that we too would be utterly overcome and our life would become a ruin. Thank you, Father, for salvation. Thank you for your Savior, for your Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for pardoning us. Lord, if any has not responded to you yet, I pray that your Spirit would convict them and, and give them understanding, spiritual eyes to see life in light of eternity and that they would respond to you while you are near. And we thank you, God, for being near. The fact that they are here today with us tells us you are near. We thank you for that. May this opportunity not be squandered. Lord, bless us as we continue our study. Bless us as we seek to live for you. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity we've had to meet today to be a church, a family. Help us to love one another as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.